the younger generation decides to lecture their parents on racism, Sean King announces it's time to start tearing down stained glass windows of white Jesus, and President Trump struggles as COVID-19 researches. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your data from prying eyes at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, we're going to get to all of the news, and there is plenty of it. There's an attempt to take over Lafayette Park again. St. John's Church got defaced again. There's an attempt to create a Black House Autonomous Zone, is what they were trying to call it. It failed. So we'll get to all of that, plus all of the latest news on COVID-19, as there is a resurgence around the country. But first, you know, it can be pretty refreshing to finally pay off those credit cards. A lot of people take out credit card debt, and then it takes them forever to pay off the credit cards, or they never do because the debt starts to rack up as soon as you start racking up those interest rate charges. It is very hard to put that genie back in the bottle. Well, if you're having trouble doing that, you really need to talk to my friends over at Lightstream. You can get a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream and save thousands in interest. Get a rate as low as 5.95 APR with auto pay and excellent credit. Lower than average credit card interest rates of over 19% APR. The rate is fixed, so it will never go up over the life of the loan. Plus, there are absolutely no fees. You can even get your money in the bank account as soon as the day you apply. People love Lightstream because obviously it's helping them save a lot of money. It's helping them get their finances back in order. One customer says, I heard about Lightstream while listening to one of my favorite podcasts. I'm not going to say it's this one, but it prompted me to do some more research after shopping around for a personal loan that would help me get a lower interest rate. There was no one easier to work with. Plus, Lightstream had the best rate by far. So go get a rate right now from Lightstream. Apply today to get a special interest rate discount and save even more. The only way to get the discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Shapiro. That is L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash Shapiro. Subject to credit approval rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply. Offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Shapiro for more information and consolidate that credit card loan and get that particular issue off of your off of your list. Alrighty, so, and there's been a lot of talk about the continuation of racism in America and the idea that America is systemically racist, filled with racists, all of our systems are racist. And I'm wondering exactly what the evidence is of this, that there is widespread American racism, particularly widespread white American racism against black Americans. By polls, the United States is one of the least racist countries on planet Earth. By polling data, okay, by, by actual by actual violent crime data, the United States has very, very little intraracial crime, white on black, right? That does not happen very often. The evidence that there's widespread American racism, that white Americans are looking to do bad things to black people on a regular basis, or that they are attempting to shift their institutions so as to harm black people, the evidence of that is incredibly, incredibly scanty. And when we see it, we call it out, right? When we see bad situations, we call it out. See, this is the thing that, that is so puzzling about our entire moment is there seems to be a widespread perception that America is broadly speaking racist, its systems are broadly speaking racist, and yet people are having trouble identifying which systems are racist and which people are racist. And the reason people are having trouble identifying that is anytime there is a racist incident, there's an extraordinary outpouring of support for the person who is victimized by the alleged racist incident. So perfect example happened this week. There's a huge story out of NASCAR. So there's a driver, a black driver named Bubba Wallace, and Bubba Wallace had called for an end to the Confederate flag in NASCAR. And he, he wanted to put Black Lives Matter on his car. So he put Black Lives Matter on his car, is my understanding. And then NASCAR went along with his request, right? There are a lot of people who fly the Confederate flag, not because they are racist, but because they believe that it, it represents Southern heritage. We've discussed the morphing meaning of the flag and the differential meanings of the flag for various different groups in American public life, all of which I think are completely legitimate. As I've said before, I think the black people look at the Confederate flag and they say, hey, that's the flag that flew for people who wanted to enslave my great-great-grandfather. 
I get it. I really do. That makes perfect sense to me. I also know a lot of Southerners who fly the Confederate flag, not because they back racism or slavery, but because that was a flag that their grandfather flew in the Battle of the Bulge. And so they see it as a Southern pride thing. I get that too. I see how two people could look at the same symbol. One could find it deeply offensive and be correct. And one could find it deeply non-offensive and also be correct from their perspective, right? There are differences of perspective here. When it comes to the Confederate flag, it's sort of like Rashomon and it really does depend on your subjective perspective on the issue. But if you are a sports league like NASCAR, your private industry, and you want to take down the Confederate flag, totally within your rights to do so. So NASCAR goes along with this. And then yesterday or the day before, a story emerges from NASCAR that apparently a noose was found in the garage stall of Bubba Wallace's Richard Petty Motorsports team before the postponed cup race at Talladega Super Speedway a little bit earlier this week. And so that was a huge story because black driver who has been instrumental in trying to push NASCAR to get rid of the Confederate flag, and then he finds a noose in his locker. Now, we don't know all of the circumstances yet. We don't know who did this yet, right? NASCAR is investigating. Presumably, they will find out. I mean, NASCAR's garages, I promise you, there are cameras in there. The FBI is also investigating, so we should find out sooner rather than later. And whoever did that should obviously be punished. And everyone agrees on this, that that is a great example of a racist incident, right? Depending on who did it, that is a a great, I mean, it's hard to think of it not being a racist incident, obviously. So NASCAR puts out a statement and says, we are angry and outraged and cannot state strongly enough how seriously we take this heinous act. We've launched an immediate investigation. We'll do everything we can to identify the person responsible and eliminate them from the sport. As we have stated unequivocally, there is no place for racism in NASCAR. This act only strengthens our resolve to make the sport open and welcoming to all. The FBI and the DOJ Civil Rights Division are reviewing the situation surrounding the news that was found in Bubba Wallace's garage to determine whether there are violations of federal law. Regardless of whether federal charges can be brought, this type of action has no place in our society, says U.S. Attorney Jay Town, who is the U.S. District Attorney for the Northern District of Alabama. And so, in other words, a bad thing happens, and the reaction is overwhelming in support of the black driver. Overwhelming. I mean, the images that came out of Talladega yesterday are stunning. Right? It is the image of everyone who works at Talladega pushing Bubba Watson's car to the uh, Bubba Wallace's car, rather, to the front of the of the speedway. Right? There's a march where all the drivers got out, like all of them, and all of their pit workers, and they pushed his car all the way to the front of the track. Right, to, to, the, to the post position on the front of the track, which is, I would think, an amazing display of hating racism. And I think that that signifies where virtually every American is when it comes to racism. Every American of good heart, and I would say that's 99% of Americans, 98% of Americans, despises racism and thinks racism is really bad. And you can see that in action right here. All of NASCAR's drivers have rallied around Bubba Wallace. The NASCAR Cup Series lone black driver after what happened here yesterday afternoon. The drivers, led by reigning Cup Series champion Kyle Busch in green, and their crews, the entire garage area, has rallied around Bubba Wallace and the number 43 today. Okay, so can we stop pretending that this is like Selma, Alabama, you know, in in Selma, Mississippi in 1962? Can we stop pretending that that is that that's what this is? Because it isn't. I mean, you have literally an entire an, an entire group of people. And I mean, like every American dedicated to wiping away the scourge of racism. Selma, Alabama, rather. I was right the first time. The, the, the idea here being that that somehow America is deeply racist when you have every NASCAR driver walking Bubba Wallace to the front of the track here in support of him after a noose was found in his locker, and after NASCAR, the sport backed him and got rid of the Confederate flag, which, again, is important to many of the people who watch the sport. 
This doesn't seem like a very racist country to me. I'll be honest with you. That does not seem like the hallmark of a racist country. It's not something that you saw in apartheid South Africa. This is not something that you saw in the Jim Crow South. Like this is, it's utterly unthinkable. I, I would imagine that if you are a black person who lived through the Jim Crow South, the very sight of Bubba Wallace's car in Talladega being walked to the front of the track by a bunch of white drivers, right? Because he's the only black driver in NASCAR. And NASCAR taking his advice and getting rid of the Confederate flag. That's pretty good evidence that there is a lot of support for the notion that racism is bad, right? These are, these are unifying sentiments that racism is bad. And yet the idea is that we have to continue to maintain that black Americans are at constant threat of extinction. Like these are, that America is an extinction level event for black Americans. It's just not true. It's just not true. The overwhelming sentiment of Americans, and by the way, tolerance for extreme behavior by people who are protesting what they believe to be racism is fairly good evidence that America is on board. America is not in favor of racism. And yet the narrative we're being told is that America is continuing to be in favor of racism. And the, the quest never ends, right? The quest never ends. It's a perpetual revolution. Because it's not enough to do what they did over at Talladega. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that social media companies are now deciding what, sh- what content is suitable for you and for the sensitive snowflakes among us. They are targeting your data, they are monetizing your data, and they are controlling what data you can see. Well, there's one thing you can control, their access to your data, and that is why I use ExpressVPN. See, the problem with big tech companies is that not only do they censor what you read, they will actually track what you do online. They track what you're searching for, the videos you watch, everything you click. They use that data to serve you ads, and then they can match your activity to your offline identity using your device's unique IP address. Now, when I use ExpressVPN, these tech companies cannot see my IP address at all. My identity is masked and anonymized by a secure VPN server. Plus, ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and internet bad guys. Does that sound complicated? It is not, right? ExpressVPN software, it is very easy to install. It takes just one click and you're ready to go. And then you are protected. I mean, it's super simple. It runs in the background. Your computer won't slow down your internet, which is obviously a priority for me. It's time to take back your privacy today at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Visit my special link. You'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. Who doesn't like to save money, right? Again, that's expressvpn.com slash Ben, expressvpn.com slash Ben for more information. Alrighty, so as I say, it seems to me the evidence is pretty strong that Americans despise racism. And Americans of all stripes think racism is really, really bad. In fact, Americans hate racism so much that they are not willing to talk about instances of apparent racism where the races are not the ones that fit the narrative. So for example, there was this attack that I talked about yesterday on the show. It was filmed and went viral online in which a black man beat the living hell out of a white Macy's employee and then claimed that he used the N-word. It was a really bad incident, really bad incident. Okay, and the only people who are talking about it, of course, people on conservative radio, right? People in the conservative world are talking about this because they are making the point that, you know, it's, it's quite fascinating the disparate attention that is paid to acts of racism in the United States. If this were a white guy walking into a Macy's and beating the hell out of a black employee, that would lead the news every night for weeks. And the reason for that is because, again, the media narrative is that racism only exists when it comes to white on black racism. There's no such thing as black on white racism. Also, there's this idea from the media that if you pay attention to attacks like this one, that it leads to bad narratives. It leads to bad narratives in which people might become racist about black people by seeing this sort of incident. Now, I think most people are smart enough to look at this sort of incident and not attribute this to black people at large. I think most people are smart enough to look at an incident like this and say, hey, that's a bad person who's doing a racist thing, it appears. But that, that, the same way that the left refuses to... See, here's the thing. For the left, it's a lot of projection. The left sees a white person do a bad thing to a black person and immediately attributes that to American society writ large and white people writ large. And so they assume that if 
Americans were to see a black person do a bad thing to a white person, that all of America would then suggest that all black people are responsible for this. The only people who talk in terms of collective responsibility for actions on a racial level are people on the left. And that is why they don't want to talk about incidents like that, because with leftist logic, then collective action, collective responsibility starts to take hold. But for regular people, they look at incidents of racism and they say, okay, people who act racist in America are the bad apples and we should call them out no matter what their race. And it doesn't implicate the system more broadly. The problem for the left is if you're making an argument that systems of power are always implicated by individual events, then you can only show the public certain events. It's very important that the public only see certain events because if every incident is just the tip of the iceberg and the iceberg is really the problem, well then, we can only show you the incidents that back our narrative and the icebergs that we wish to talk about. So this incident at Macy's, of course, did not receive the sort of national news coverage that it would have received if the races were reversed. Neither did that incident in, what was it, Michigan, where there was a, a video of a young black man beating up an elderly white person. Neither did that incident in New York, where there was that image of a young black man walking down the street. He apparently had a bunch of criminal violations before, pushing over a 92-year-old white woman who promptly banged her head on the sidewalk. Right? None of that made the news in the same way that the beatings of, of Jews in Williamsburg, predominantly by young people of color, did not make the news. The reason it didn't make the news is not because it's not newsworthy. It's because the left automatically assumes that because they think of things in terms of race, everybody else will start to attribute individual actions to broader races, and then that will back a narrative that they don't like, right? And again, I'm of the opinion that you shouldn't attribute individual instances to broader narratives without any supporting evidence. But because the left does it routinely, they're afraid of, this is how you end up with censorship. The way you end up with censorship is because there are people on the left who believe that every individual incident is indicative of a broader system of power. And so we can only show you certain incidents that back our notions of which power ought to govern and which power ought not govern. But this is part of the broader point, which is that, and, and by the way, that is, a, that is a status quo that is sort of accepted by most Americans. Most Americans are not clamoring to see more of this Macy's incident on TV. And the reason is because most Americans are uncomfortable with, with racist incidents and uncomfortable with racism more generally. Americans are trying to wipe racism away. It is something they wish to do. And you're seeing that it's pretty incredible. You're seeing this on a wide variety of levels, the attempt to bend over backwards to wipe away non-racism over and over. So 30 Rock is now pulling certain episodes from syndication because supposedly characters in the in the show appeared in blackface. Now, I don't actually remember those episodes. I remember watching 30 Rock. It didn't, I don't remember the episodes off the top of my head. But Tina Fey put out a notice. She said, as we strive to do the work and do better in regards to race in America, we believe that these episodes featuring actors in race-changing makeup are best taken out of circulation. I understand now that intent is not a free pass for white power, for white people to use these images. I apologize for the pain they have caused. Going forward, no comedy-loving kid needs to stumble on these tropes and be stung by their ugliness. I thank NBC Universal for honoring this request. So 30 Rock pulled down some episodes. There were two episodes in question. One was, was episode two of season three, and one was episode 10 of season five. Both of them featured Jane Krakowski's character, Jenna, in blackface. I, I believe that the idea here was to parody blackface, if I recall this correctly, that the whole thing was to make fun of racism. I'm fairly certain that Tina Fey and the folks over at NBC were not like, oh, let's do, let's do old-fashioned blackface and make fun of black people. Pretty sure that's not the case. But even making fun of blackface is no longer acceptable. By the way, we know that making fun of blackface is no longer acceptable because the Washington Post ran a 3,000-word piece castigating one of its own former staffers, who's like an internet person, for having the temerity to mock Megyn Kelly by dressing up as Megyn Kelly in blackface after that entire silly scandal a few years back. Okay, speaking of people who are now being targeted for not being woke enough, see, here's the thing. Once you buy into the narrative that America is broadly speaking racist, 
despite all proof to the contrary, there is no end to it. Once you, once you buy into the idea that you don't have to spot individual instances of racism, all you have to identify is inequality of outcome. Well, then there is no end to this routine. And the people who will find themselves on the chopping block first are the people who are most likely to cave. So this is why Bill Simmons finds himself on the chopping block today. So what did Bill Simmons do wrong, right? The sports guy? It's in the New York Times is a long piece today called Sports Media Giant Bill Simmons Finds Himself Playing Defense. What did he do? Did he say the N-word? Did he mistreat a black person? No, no, he didn't. What did he do? Well, on June 1st, there, there was an episode of Bill Simmons' podcast called A Truly Sad Week in America, in which Simmons talked about the Black Lives Matter movement with a frequent guest, the Ringer podcaster, Ryan Russillo. Russillo is one of the founding editors of the site and a good friend of Simmons. And Russillo spoke of what he described as looters who were breaking into sneaker shops, which is a thing that happened. Okay, you know how I know that happened? It happened two blocks from my house. <laughs> Literally, in the middle of the in the middle of the the unrest in Los Angeles, there's a footlocker like three blocks away, and people broke into the footlocker. I mean, the good news was that they broke a window and somebody got cut. They called an ambulance, the guy was fine. Not kidding. That, that, that's an actual thing that happened. But Russillo made a big mistake. During the podcast, Russillo complimented Simmons on his hiring practices praising his boss for, quote, the jobs and opportunities you've given a diverse group. Then Simmons and Russillo were forced to apologize because it was set off a social media backlash and was described as preposterous in the New York Daily News. The Ringer Union, affiliated with the Writers Guild of America, represents about 65 employees. The outlet has no black editors or staff writers covering the NBA or NFL. So hold on, I have a question. Does that mean no black people work at the Ringer? No, it doesn't. It just means they're not in certain positions at the Ringer. But then Simmons had to prostrate himself before the woke gods of the New York Times. He said in an email to the New York Times that the ringer fell short on diversity and that he expects to make personnel announcements soon that will show that the company is making progress on the issue. And then he held an all-hands meeting a few days after the podcast episode. Simmons told the staff he was going to make mistakes, but that he tried to learn from them. By the way, I believe that they have two separate podcast hosts who are black, at least, right? Jamel Hill, I believe, hosts a podcast with the ringer, and so does Larry Wilmore is my understanding, hosts a podcast with The Ringer. So the idea that this is like a black-free company or something, or that Bill Simmons is a vicious racist, is plainly ridiculous. It's plainly ridiculous. But now he is on the chopping block because apparently he has not hired enough black folks. The Ringer has six black editorial staff members out of about 90 employees, according to the union. Three of them are writers. A fourth black writer was hired to cover the NFL starting in July. Between 2017 and 2019, at least five black editorial staff members left the company. So... That means, presumably, that he had more black staffers and some of them left. But the New York Times quoted these four former black employees, three of whom spoke on condition of anonymity for fear of antagonizing Simmons. And they said they often felt uncomfortable at the ringer. A few of them, why were they uncomfortable? A few of them said they were sometimes heaped with racist abuse on social media and in online comments when they heard when they covered topics that might not have fit the expectations of the typical ringer reader, including a post on Beyonce and top editors didn't go on social media and defend them. So it's not that the, the ringer did something bad to their own employees. It's they posted articles and people were mean to them online and gave them the ads. And their editors didn't come out of the woodwork to defend them from the, the cruelty of the comment section. First of all, if you work in the Internet, first rule of working on the Internet, guys, never read the comments. Never read the comments. But just like every other woke company, the ringer is now being basically held hostage in his staffing decisions by woke staffers who have decided that they are going to hold accountable the editorial structure that pays them for decisions that they don't actually get to make. The point here is a, is a more general one, which is, it seems to me, there's a pretty widespread attempt happening right now to fight racism. No? It seems like Americans, broadly speaking, are pretty, like, they're saying, what do you want from us? What, what do you need? What, what do you, meaning the woke left, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? And the answer 
is all the things. The answer is the woke left wants all the things, every single thing. There are no things that the woke left does not want. We're going to get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact a lot of people right now asking themselves, uh, can I still get life insurance? I mean, there's a pandemic on. Can I get a life insurance? The answer is you can. You can indeed. You can buy life insurance during a pandemic. If you have loved ones, depending on your income, you probably should. As an insurance marketplace, Policy Genius is in contact with the life insurance companies on their platform every day. They're keeping track of all the changes in the market so you don't have to. That means they can get you covered quickly and for the best price. Here's how it works. Policy Genius will compare quotes from the top life insurance companies all in one place. It takes just a few minutes to compare quotes from the top insurers and find your best price. That doesn't just save a lot of legwork. You could save 1500 bucks or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape for free. So if you hit any speed bumps during that application process, they will be there to take care of everything. So if you're one of many people looking to buy life insurance right now, but you're not sure exactly where to start, head on over to policygenius.com. Policy Genius will help you find the best rate, handle the process completely, will get you and your family protected, hopefully give you one less thing to worry about. That's policygenius.com. Go there for all of your insurance needs. Get that taken care of. Be a responsible human. Policygenius.com. Okay, so what exactly does the woke left want? The answer is the woke left wants all of the things. So Sean King of the New York Daily News and a self-proclaimed civil rights leader, he reacted to a post from Matt Schlapp. Matt Schlapp is the head of the American Conservative Union. And, and Matt Schlapp had tweeted out that sooner or later, the left was going to come for statues of Jesus. They're coming for statues of literally everyone else. And Sean King immediately tweeted back, yes, I think the statues of the white European they claim is Jesus should also come down. They are a form of white supremacy. Always have been. In the Bible, when the family of Jesus wanted to hide and blend in, guess where they went? Egypt, not Denmark. Tear them down. So tear down every depiction of Jesus as, as a white person. By the way, Jesus was not a black person either. Jesus was a Jew. Okay, probably looked like my father-in-law. Like, <laughs> seriously, he looked like a, like a modern-day Israeli, probably, Jesus. He's probably a short, stubby Jew, right? That's it, because guess what? That's what, like, he was a Jew. I don't, I don't know what to tell you about this, right? He probably did not look like a six-foot-five Nor Norwegian, right? I, I get it. But the idea that you are going to tear down all art of Jesus, and then he continued along these lines. He said, yes. All murals and stained glass windows of white Jesus and his European mother and their white friends should also come down. They're a gross form of white supremacy created as tools of oppression, racist propaganda. They should all come down. So how do you feel about shattering all the stained glass windows? What do you think? Should we just go to, you know, all of the world's historic churches and start shattering windows? Apparently, the answer is yes. Okay, and the, and the attempt to tear down statues continued apace. It's all statues. It is all statues, right? It is not just restricted to Confederate monuments. It is not just restricted to, to people in history who have very checkered past, the Andrew Jacksons of the world. They tried to tear that statue down in Lafayette Park last night. It's not just restricted to old Confederates, right? Teddy Roosevelt statues need to be taken down. Bill de Blasio said that Teddy Roosevelt did things that are deeply disturbing. We are five seconds away, by the way, from the blow up Mount Rushmore movement. Like that, that is five seconds away because Mount Rushmore features a bevy of people who have all been canceled. In fact, there's nobody on Mount Rushmore who has not been canceled. Right. All the people on Mount Rushmore at this point have been canceled so far as I am aware. Right. George Washington has had his statues torn down. And so has Thomas Jefferson. Abraham Lincoln has been canceled by people who have suggested that, you know, if you look at his early writings, he talks about taking black people and creating Liberia and moving them back to Africa. And he wasn't in favor of racial of racial equality. He wasn't even in favor of getting rid of slavery at the outset of the Civil War. So Abraham Lincoln has been canceled. And now Teddy Roosevelt is being canceled. Here's Bill de Blasio, giant weirdo and groundhog murderer, talking about how Teddy Roosevelt is canceled. Roosevelt himself is a, a, another one of these complex figures in American history. He did some 
extraordinarily progressive things that we feel to this day. And he did some things that I think are deeply troubling. But I think there's a separate question between him, the person, and the actual statue. The statue has representations that clearly do not uh, represent today's values. Uh, The statue clearly, you know, presents a white man as superior to people of color. Okay, that is not really what the statue was dedicated to do. But in any case, Bill de Blasio and the rest of the of the new communist crew have have figured out exactly what it is that they want. And what they want is all of the things, all of the things. And this does tie into a broader narrative, again, of American racism and American evil. Tom Cotton, senator from Arkansas, he pointed out yesterday, when you rip down Washington and Grant, you're not doing that because you want to correct American history. You're doing that because you really don't like the country and you think the country from inception is evil and bad. You're you're talking not just about ripping down monuments of Confederates who fought against the Union. You're talking about ripping down the Union itself. Witness the events of just this past weekend where mobs tore down statues of George Washington and Ulysses S. Grant. When you tear down statues of Washington and Grant, it's not about the Civil War. It's because you hate America. And indeed, these rioters hate America. In Portland, where they tore down the statue of Washington, they also spray-painted on him the date 1619, a reference to the New York Times' revisionist anti-American history project. Okay, he's exactly right about all this. And this is part of, again, a broader goal. And the broader goal is tear down the system. The broader goal is tear down the system. Now, some of the leaders in the Black Lives Matter movement will say as much. Black Lives Matter founder Patrice Kuehler's She actually came out a few years back in 2015 and expressed what exactly her goals were. She said, yeah, I'm a Marxist. We're trained Marxists. Like, our goal is to tear down the system. I think that the criticism is helpful. Um, I also think that it might... um, I think of a lot of things. The first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame. Um, Myself... And Alicia in particular are trained organizers. Um, we uh, are trained Marxists. Um, we are uh, super uh, versed um, on sort of ideological theories. It's not about stopping racism for a lot of the people who are involved in this. It is about stopping the system itself because the system itself is supposedly an outgrowth of racism and bigotry. By the way, this is one of the problems that a lot of people on the left, they don't understand. People on the right, they say, why, why won't you just say Black Lives Matter? Okay, I'm happy to say Black Lives Matter. Black lives do matter because that's perfectly obvious. It's perfectly obvious that Black Lives Matter. The reason people object to the phrase Black Lives Matter is because there's an actual group called Black Lives Matter. And when people say Black Lives Matter, that is a term that suffers from, from in linguistics, they call it semantic overload. It is a term that means more than one thing. The group Black Lives Matter is a Marxist group. Okay, the group itself which is not the movement, right? It's just the group that created the movement. That group is really not a great group. Their website specifically says, we call for an end to the systemic racism that allows this culture of corruption to go unchecked and our lives to be taken. We need to defund the police nationally. We demand investment in our communities and the resources to ensure black people not only survive, but thrive. If you're with us, add your name to this petition. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure required requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. In other words, it's a Marxist group. I mean, they're, they're, the BLM website also takes time out to rip on Israel because that's what they do. Uh, the, it, it, it's pretty incredible. So when people object to sort of the Black Lives Matter tag, it's because it's not clear what exactly that means. Because 
On the one hand, it's perfectly obvious. On the other, it's perfectly not. On the one hand, it's perfectly obvious that Black Lives Matter and everyone, 100% of Americans virtually agrees with this idea. And the ones who don't are significant outliers that everybody despises. And then you have people who are the Black Lives Matter organizers and leaders and members of that group. And the group itself is really not great and is pushing an agenda that has very little to do with fighting racism. Now, coming up in just a second, I want to talk about the generational shift that is going on, because one of the things that we are watching right now is a repeat of the 60s, when you had an older generation that had acknowledged its sins and allowed the younger generation to run roughshod over them. Well, today, you have the same thing, an older generation that is allowing the younger generation to run roughshod over them. The only difference is that back in the 1960s, at least you could make the claim that the older generation had not done enough about racism. Now, the older generation is being run roughshod over by its children who, by and large, have not suffered in a racist America. If you're 20 years old living in the United States, the chances that you suffered from deep, deep personal racism are a lot lower than they were back in the 1960s by every available metric. The idea that there are systems of power that are designed to keep you down is just not true in the United States in 2020. It hasn't been true for quite a while in the United States. It was made federally illegal in the 1960s. That doesn't mean racism went away. It doesn't mean that you haven't experienced any racism in your life. It means the system is not meant to keep you down. And your parents are not the bad guys. Or your parents were not complicit in the system. Okay, but we have a generational war that is going on right now. We're going to get to that in just one second because there's an incredible article in the New York Times talking about this. And it does speak to the, I would say, dismal future of the country if young people get their way on this thing. We'll get to that momentarily first. Let us talk about the fact that sleep is a little bit hard to come by these days. I mean, there's a lot of stress. You're stuck in your house with your kids. This is why you need a great mattress to lie on at night. I'm talking about Helix Sleep. Helix Sleep has a quiz. It takes just two minutes to complete, matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, a hot sleeper, whether you like a plusher from bed, with Helix, there's no more confusion and no more compromising. Helix Sleep is rated the number one mattress by GQ and Wired Magazine. And CNN called it the most comfortable mattress they've ever slept on. Just head on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a customized mattress. They'll give you the best sleep of your life. They've got a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. But you absolutely will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders just for our listeners. Get up to 200 bucks off at helixsleep.com slash Ben. That is helixsleep.com slash Ben. Again, I love my Helix Sleep mattress. My wife and I took that two-minute sleep quiz and... We have a mattress that is made just for us. It is incredibly comfortable. We get great sleep on it, which we definitely need because we have a newborn. Go check out Helix Sleep right now. Helixsleep.com slash Ben. Get 200 bucks off all mattress orders just for our listeners. Helixsleep.com slash Ben. Okay, so there's a generational thing going on here. So as I've talked about on the show before, in the 1960s, and I keep quoting Shelby Steele here because I think that his insight here is really valuable. Shelby Steele talks about that in the 1960s, there was a younger generation and they looked at an older generation that had been complicit in an actual legalized system of racial discrimination. And they said, you don't have any moral legitimacy anymore. And on the basis of that, of that lever, they proceeded to tear down entire systems, everything from sort of traditional sexual mores to the, to the destruction of, of educational system, right? Everything had to go. Everything had to go because the idea was our parents have no moral legitimacy anymore. And there was at least truth to the idea that their parents' generation, that the, the boomers' parents, had been complicit in a system of racism. That was particularly true in the South, but it was true federally, right? That, that was true. Now fast forward to 2020, and the kids are now doing it to their parents. So you have millennials who are doing it to Gen Xers, and you, and you have Gen Xers who are doing it to the boomers. And the basic idea here is that the same people who were ripping on their parents back in the 60s are now being ripped by their children for, quote unquote, not doing enough. Now, there's only one problem with this, which is the evidence is pretty scanty there. 
The evidence is really, really scanty. It doesn't really exist that the baby boomers and the millennials that, uh, and, the, and the Gen Xers, that those people are deeply, viciously racist. Right? That evidence just isn't there. And more importantly, one of the things that is happening is when you attribute to racism the effects of, of failures of personal responsibility, you actually end up removing autonomy from people. And when you suggest that the system is responsible for individual failings, what you end up doing is creating a discouraging situation for young people. You tell them that all the problems in your life are not your fault. They are the fault of your parents' generation. They are the fault of the system. That is not a recipe for success. It is not. It is a recipe for failure. One of the worst things you can do to a child is tell them that they do not have the capacity to rise in the freest country in the history of the world. A country that is diverse and multicultural and allows opportunities and equal rights under law, right? That, that, that country is a problem and that your parents just don't get it. They don't get it because, you know, they may be thinking of the old framework where if you remove the obstacles, then you have opportunities. But they need to think of the new framework wherein anything short of utopia is evidence of discrimination. This is leading to a younger generation who have decided that their actual quest in life is to dare tear down the system that provides them opportunities because they don't wish to take advantage of the opportunities themselves. There's an incredible article in the Washington Post today. It's called Young Asians and Latinos Push Their Parents to Acknowledge Racism Amid Protests. Okay, this is pretty incredible because let's be frank about this. Young Asians and Latinos are experiencing a lot less racism in the United States than their parents or grandparents did. That, that is perfectly obvious. Right? Anti-Asian sentiment in the 1980s was much stronger than anti-Asian sentiment in 2020. Anti-Latino sentiment in the 1970s and 80s, much, much stronger than anti-Latino sentiment in 2020. Perfectly obvious, right? By every available metric. But now you have young people who are pushing their parents and basically saying that their parents are racist. Why? Because their parents keep saying things like individual responsibility. Their parents keep saying things like meritocracy. Their parents keep teaching them things like work hard. And by doing that, they are complicit in the system. According to the Washington Post, the argument began as soon as Charlie Mai and his brother Henry announced their plans to attend a Black Lives Matter protest that evening in D.C. Their father was not having it. Glenn Mai, a retired FBI agent, had been raised in Dallas by Chinese immigrants who had taught him he would succeed if he just worked hard. Glenn, 54, said, quote, Chinese culture is very much about working within the system. During decades in law enforcement, he'd come to believe the system worked. His son, Charlie, 24, took a different view. My father deeply believes that everyone has a fair chance, which is just basically untrue, said Charlie, an artist who fled New York for his family's home in Northern Virginia because of the pandemic. It's very Asian to me, that view that if everyone just works hard, then everything will turn out all right for them. I'm definitely a little reactive to that because I think that's delusional. Okay, I have a question for Charlie. Charlie's an artist in New York, okay, pr presumably being subsidized by his parents. His dad, who's 54, which means that he grew up in the 1970s and 1980s, his dad, who's 54, who presumably in Dallas as a Chinese immigrant, right? I mean, that, that, that is not exactly a recipe you would think for never experiencing racial discrimination, says, work hard and you'll get ahead. And then he tells his son, you know what happened? I worked hard and I got ahead. And then his son, who's an artist in New York, is like, you know what? Racism. You know what? Racism is keeping people down. Maybe you should listen to your dad because maybe your dad has more life experience. Maybe your dad went through more crap than you did. Maybe it's pretty ungrateful for you to disparage the country that gave your father the opportunity that he himself recognizes he got. Maybe that's an absurdity. That June morning, amid the yelling and the tears, Glenn threatened to walk out when it became clear that Charlie and Henry, 22, planned to defy the city's 7 p.m. curfew. In the end, however, he drove downtown to bring his son safely home. The argument over the protest, police brutality, and systemic racism has since softened into an extended conversation. 
During the civil rights movement, black parents and their children may have disagreed over speed and strategy, but their shared experience of discrimination united them on the cause. Non-black allies, many of them Jewish Americans, were a clear minority in the 1960s. By contrast, the youth-led protests unfolding now in response to the killing of a black man by a white Minneapolis police officer are much more diverse. There are a large number of African Americans who have supported the BLM movement since its 2014 founding, and many native-born black and white newcomers whose lives have often differed, have often differed dramatically from their parents. But there's also an unprecedentedly large segment of protesters from other backgrounds. Some are descended from immigrants who moved to the United States generations ago. While many others come from families that have arrived in great waves since the civil rights movement spurred passage of the Immigration and Naturalization Act in 1965. I think what you are seeing is a decades-long transformation. We have arrived at a real cultural shift, said Jose Antonio Vargas, founder of Define America, an immigration advocacy organization and former Washington Post reporter. Of course, he's on the far left. In forming a new kind of majority with black and white protesters, Asian and Latino and other young allies are fighting, are uniting and fighting anti-black racism and in many cases are pushing their mothers and fathers to understand why change is necessary. So basically, parents are being called out by their children. Why are they being called out by their children? Because they themselves are saying things like, you know what, I came to this country, I worked really hard, I got ahead. Can you please stop disparaging the country that gave me that opportunity? And their kids are like, you know what? No. You know what? No, you're wrong, mom and dad. I, a 24-year-old artist living in New York on your subsidy, I have been victimized by America, and America is deeply evil and racist. There's a, a person named uh, Giselle Quintero. Okay, Washington Post quotes her. She says, it upset me to see how unjustly black people are being treated. I have a platform in this little community, so I knew I had to do something to help out. In early June, she posted news on social media of a protest in front of a mall near her house. Her parents, Mexican-American business owners and strong Trump supporters, vocally opposed her plans. At first, my parents were like, this is stupid. All lives matter. They didn't understand the big picture of it. That the system is so messed up, nobody deserves to have a knee on the neck for eight minutes over a $20 counterfeit bill. Quintero says she grew up hearing her grandparents tell stories about how they were prohibited from drinking at whites-only fountains after long, hot days of working in the fields. They just kind of suppressed those memories and tried to distinguish themselves by their hard work and achievement, Quintero said, and they're still not being accepted by the white community. Okay, hold up a second. So your grandparents were segregated at water fountains and working in the fields and then took the opportunities afforded to them and made an incredible life for themselves, and you're going to lecture them on their subsumed racism? You're going to lecture them on their, on their integration of white supremacist ideals? What have you gone through, young person? You literally just said that your grandparents drank at segregated water fountains and worked in the fields. Your great act of heroism is that you went and stood in a parking lot after posting on Facebook? The point here is that Many of the people who are currently protesting and are going after their parents, they've deemed themselves, as I mentioned yesterday, a new generation of better people. And here's the thing. This new generation of better people, I'm not seeing a lot of evidence that they're a new generation of better people. I'm not. I'm not seeing a lot of evidence that they're doing many worthwhile things that are making the country a better place. That doesn't mean that, again, for the 1,000th time, marching against police brutality is a bad thing. It means that when you're calling out your parents and suggesting that your parents are part of the racist system, when they're the ones who actually went through racism and you haven't even seen it, I'm going to go no on that. I'm going to suggest that this is self-righteousness masquerading as righteousness on behalf of others. And that there is no actual end goal here. That the end goal here is the self-righteousness. That the end goal for many of the people who are, who are claiming that America is a systemically racist system is making themselves feel good. I have more proof of this in just one second. There's a Washington Post piece called Is This Time Different? Talking about how there's so many people who support the Black Lives Matter protests but is this time different? There's not a single policy prescription in the entire article. 
Because in the end, it is all about what slogans you say to make yourself feel good for many people, for many, many people. And you're seeing this in personal activity, by the way. I mean, there's, there are videos emerging that are just hilarious of white women screaming at black police officers over systemic American racism. Because they read Robin DiAngelo's White Fragility or something, one of the dumbest books ever written. There, there's an, there, I got to show you this clip. There's a clip that uh, there's a clip of a, of a man, Captain Anti-Racism Man Bun abusing a black police officer. He's, the white guy's not wearing a shirt. He's wearing a man bun. And he's yelling at a black police officer to fight racism. Hey, what? I'm, he's got rights, you know. You can't just beat him right if you don't right like now. him. Your child's going to tell you. Your mom's going to tell you. If your mother doesn't, I feel sorry for her. I feel sorry for your family. You're a piece of You're a piece of you really are. You really are. Does anybody think that that's fighting racism? Or is it possible that this is a lot of people, many of these people, particularly the white woke liberals, who are making themselves feel really good on the back of no actual agenda? Because this is all about a primal cry of I matter. Maybe I haven't accomplished anything, but I matter. And I know better than my parents. And my parents may have accomplished something. But you know what? I matter because I posted a square on Facebook. That's, that's what truly matters here. Okay, that is not making the world a better place. But I think that for many of the, the particularly white woke folks, this is not about making the world a better place. It's about relieving the, the feelings of inferiority they have about their own lives uh, and, then trying to, and then trying to suggest that their parents are the bad guys in this particular scenario. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that now is a terrible time to go to the auto parts store. I mean, frankly, it's never a great time to go to the auto parts store. It's a good shot. You're going to be overcharged. There's a very good shot. They don't have the right part, that they have the generic part or that they have to order it in. Why not just go to rockauto.com and use the interwebs to find the exact part that you need? rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. Why spend up to twice as much for the same exact parts? rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Head on over to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? The rockauto.com catalog is unique, remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. That amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Check them out over at rockauto.com. Head on over to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write Shapiro in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Again, that's rockauto.com. Use the internet to save yourself time and money and get the exact part that you need, rockauto.com. Again, that is rockauto.com. In their How Did You Hear About Us box, make sure that you write Shapiro so they know that we sent you. All righty, we're going to get into more of this, more of the virtue signaling at the expense of, of your parents who actually went through stuff and were involved in actual change. Like the, the lack of respect for elders here is truly astonishing. It's truly an amazing, amazing thing. And the broadening of the agenda out from, you know, police brutality is bad to everything, to tear down stained glass windows of white Jesus and tear down every statue you can find. And this is all justified because it's year zero. That's a, that smacks of nothing so much as a bored population assuming that the, that the sort of natural state of things is stasis and peace. And as we're about to find out, that is absolutely not the natural state of things. We'll get to that in a moment. First, if you're not already a Daily Wire member, you should consider getting a reader's pass to dailywire.com. It is a great value for only three bucks a month. And when you sign up, you get that first month for only 99 cents. You also get access to our mobile app, articles ad-free, access to exclusive editorials, like the one that we put up yesterday, six heroic members of law enforcement that deserve praise and recognition. Remember, there are good members of law enforcement. Remember that? So if you haven't checked out the reader's pass already, go to dailywire.com, sign up for just a buck. Also, 
My new book is out July 21st. It's called How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. It is all the things. It is all the things. We are watching it take place in real time. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. All I'm saying is that this book, which was written back in December and January, it literally could not be more relevant. The basic premise of the book is that there's a group of people, I call them the, the disintegrationists in America, who are seeking to destroy American history. Right? The 1619 Project comes, on, comes in for some criticism. They're destroy, seeking to destroy American history. They're seeking to destroy American philosophy, the idea of equal rights before the law. And they're seeking to destroy our culture of rights, suggesting that rights like free speech are a threat to people of color, are a threat to minorities in the United States. It's really ugly. It's really bad. My book isn't just a critique of the disintegrationist position. It debunks a lot of their arguments. It's a very, very useful tool for you in not only discerning what exactly is going on, but in fighting back against the insanity that we are currently seeing. Again, it's called How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. I think it's really deeply important. Go pre-order it today at dailywire.com slash Ben. That is dailywire.com slash Ben. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Okay, so what will it all add up to? Right? Supposedly, we are in a, a, chain, a, a, a time of change. Right? This momentous change time. Have you seen a lot of talk about policy? Have you? There was a police reform bill that was that was put forward by Republicans. It's basically stalled for the moment. Maybe it'll pass. Maybe it won't. Does anyone think that that's going to satisfy anybody? Instead, what we have decided is that we are in a perpetual cultural revolution, a perpetual cultural revolution. And that's the only thing that matters. The only thing that matters is the cancel culture. The actual legislation doesn't matter because guess what? Discrimination has been illegal in the United States in employment and housing. It's been illegal for decades in the United States, federally. Okay, but the idea here is that we have reached a new moment. Now, the media never define what the new moment is, and the, herein lies the key. There is no end goal here. There is no end goal. The only end goal is the perpetual attempt to get people to atone of sins they did not commit and to blame the country and their parents for all of the problems that they experience in their lives. You know, the, the only successful societies ever built and the only successful people who have ever lived are people who believe they have their own agency. People who believe they have agency in their own lives and have the capacity to act within their own lives successfully. We are forthwith building a society that is pushing the notion extraordinarily hard that you have no agency, that all the things in your life are built upon systems and those systems deprive you of agency. So you are never responsible for your own decisions. Case in point, article in the New York Times, white Americans say they are waking up to racism. What will it add up to? One recent afternoon while washing his car, Greg Reese, a white stay-at-home dad in Campton, Kentucky, peeled off a Confederate flag magnet he'd placed on its trunk six years earlier. He did not put it back on. It was a small act for which he expected no accolades. It should not have taken the police killing of George Floyd, Mr. Reese knew, to face what he had long known to be true, that the flag he had grown up thinking of as a beautiful trophy was a symbol of hate, and it's obviously wrong to glorify it. So number one, I have a question. It says it was a small act for which he expected no accolades. Why is it leading a piece in the New York Times? How, how, did, how did that end up in the New York Times? You expect no accolades for it, but you're talking to the New York Times about it? It seems kind of like you expect a few accolades. The sustained outcry over Mr. Floyd's death has compelled many white Americans to acknowledge the anti-black racism that is prevalent in the United States and to perhaps even examine their own culpability for it. It is as though the ability of white people to collectively ignore the everyday experience of black people has been short-circuited, at least for now. By the way, this is a news article. This is not an opinion article. <laughs> it is as though the ability of white people to collectively ignore the everyday experience of black people has been short-circuited, at least for now. So the assumptions that are baked into this cake, which is that all black people experience the same racism in the United States, that all black people are ground under the boot heel of America's systemic evils, right? that is the premise of the article. Large numbers of white Americans have attended racial justice demonstrations, purchased books about racial inequality, and registered for webinars on how to raise children who are anti-racist. Some have asked themselves pointed questions. 
like how much professional advantage they have garnered from being white and whether they would willingly cede it if they could. Others are going to tattoo parlors to cover up images of Confederate flags, swastikas, and Ku Klux Klan symbols on their bodies. Okay, question. Like, what are the percentages here? Seriously, like how many people had the KKK symbol on their body and didn't know it was racist? I feel like that that one, you probably should have known, guys. You probably should have known. The New York Times says, it's hard to know how deep or wide these responses run and whether they are the result of pressure from peers and to appear tolerant or if meaningful action will follow. Anti-racism activists have specified concerns that are not only about symbols or slurs, but entire governing systems about how Americans live. Okay, and then it doesn't suggest anything that Americans can actually do to fix these systems. Nothing, like literally nothing. The entire article is just about how white people are now recognizing that America's bad. And that's the first step to change. That's the first step to change, is recognizing that America is bad. And then recognizing your own culpability in the badness of America. That's really what this is about. Now, the problem is that once you start down that process, there is no, there's no end to the process because America is not utopia and never will be because utopia doesn't exist. And in fact, the places where we are attempting to establish utopia are falling apart pretty quickly. So the Chaz Zone in Seattle, Chaz Chop, is coming to an inglorious end. Remember Mayor Jenny Durkin? Remember her? She was the one who suggested that it was basically an outdoor street fair and that she was just going to allow it to happen. It was all good times over there until a couple people got shot a couple nights ago and the cops couldn't get in because protesters were blocking the cops from getting in. Well, now... Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin said that the Seattle Police Department will be returning to its abandoned East Precinct building peacefully and in the near future, following a weekend in which three people were shot at the edges of the protest area that has emerged around the building. Durkin said the city would attempt to phase down nighttime activity in the Capitol Hill organized protest area known as CHOP or earlier as CHAZ, but would not be using police to clear the zone. Rather, said Durkin, they'd be asking people to leave the area voluntarily at night offering resources for homeless people and working with community groups to try to cajole people to leave the area where dozens of tents have sprouted up in recent weeks, along with couches, gorilla gardens, and graffiti. Gorilla like G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A. Gorilla gardens and graffiti. Durkin said, it's time for people to go home. It's time for us to restore Cal Anderson and Capitol Hill so it can be a vibrant part of our community. But I thought it was a vibrant part of the community. I was informed that this autonomous republic, this autonomous zone, was a full flowering of American democracy. Jay Inslee literally said that Trump hates democracy for saying that he didn't like Chaz and that it was a separatist organization inside a major American city. Durkin said the impacts on the businesses and residents in the community are now too much. Oh, now they are. Oh, I I see. Now, she just expects that she's going to be able to send over a few people to be like, you know, guys, if you could clear this, that'd be really great. They've built up barricades there. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how exactly the Chaz chop comes to an end. See, one, one of the great lies about where we are in American history is this belief that this is the norm, that the great peace and prosperity we've experienced as a people over the last several decades, that that is the norm in human life, and that you can rip down all of the systems and maintain the norm. You can rip down equal rights before law and maintain the norm. That you can change the definition of racism from actual racism to the systems of oppression are preventing people from expressing themselves fully, and all failures of personal responsibility are attributable to the system. You can redefine racism as that. And that that won't have any impact on the systems in which we live. They can tear down the systems and keep all the good stuff, in other words. They can just tear away the roots of a building and then expect that the building is going to stand on air. That's not the way any of this works. It ends up more like Chaz Chop. It ends up more like separate black and white zones, which is, by the way, something that white protesters were creating inside Chaz Chop. There was video of them separating people out because they wanted to make safe spaces for black people, which is also called segregation. Okay, that, that is a bad thing, typically, in the United States to separate people on the basis of race. Even the left recognizes that in practical terms, what they are calling for is not a thing that is practical, which is exactly why the D.C. police refused to allow the setting up of a black, ho- a black house autonomous zone outside the White House. 
and the D.C. police, by the way, stopped the the tearing down of an Andrew Jackson statue in Lafayette Park on Monday night. Also, the members of the Black House Autonomous Zone decided that they were going to spray paint St. John's Church again. So that's great. There have been like a couple of pictures of that. President Trump appears outside there. It's a big picture. They try to burn it down and they spray paint it, the, pro- the protesters slash rioters. And, uh, and that's totally fine. So, to- totally no big deal. By the way, question, is, uh, is the mayor, Mayor Bowser over, over in D.C., is she a, a racist now? Because she's shutting down the Black House Autonomous Zone. I've been reliably informed that if you're a member of a system of power and you do not allow these sorts of flowerings of democracy to occur, that you are part of the racist problem in America today. As the agenda gets vaguer and vaguer, the actual agenda gets clearer and clearer. As it turns out that there is no policy agenda, that in reality, what we are watching more and more is, the, is a movement dedicated to the destruction of American principles more wholly, not just fighting racist incidents and not just, and not just fighting police brutality, but something broader, right? something completely disconnected from any policy. That what we were watching is actually just a cultural revolution, not, not an actual legislative attempt it becomes obvious that that's not something that America can go along with and be okay with. If you're trying to tear down America from the root and expect the structure to stand, then you are sadly mistaken. The structure will not stand. The structure will not stand. All righty. Well, we've reached the end of today's program, but we'll be back here tomorrow. Sorry, quick note. I want to add a quick thing that I like. So quick thing that I like here. Uh, There's a very good book by a guy named Wesley Yang. He has written for The New Yorker. He is not on the right. Uh, he has a book called the, essay, uh, called the Souls of Yellow Folk, obviously named after the book The Souls of Black Folk. Uh, and, and the book of essays is really interesting. It's about Asian Americans in the United States and how they have dealt with discrimination in the United States. He has a couple of incredible essays near the end of the book about the changing phraseology, the change of phraseology from white supremacy to whiteness being the problem, the change of phraseology from racism to systems of oppression. He has a couple of essays in this book that are really worth reading. You should really check it out. The book, again, is called The The Souls of Yellow Folk by Wesley Yang. So go check that out. We will be back here tomorrow with much more content on the podcast. Otherwise, we'll see you here later today for two additional hours of content. Plus, I believe I have an all-access live tonight. So check out dailywire.com. Become a subscriber. You can hang out with me. I'll wear a T-shirt. We can ask questions. That's pretty much the pitch. So go enjoy that over at dailywire.com. You're listening to The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling, assistant director Pavel Wydowski, Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Playback and media operated by Nick Sheehan. Associate producer, Katie Swinnerton. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey, everyone. It's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. The left thinks they've won the day, but Trump is on the move and the times are a-changing. Who has the courage to be sane in a moment of madness? We'll take a look on The Andrew Claven Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, 
Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 